Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. Landline on the road in the holler in Weaverville, North Carolina. Got to be quick. The piano movers are coming and I have to move my father-in-law's gas guzzler. Thanks for listening. 503-894-8480. Sorry for the late post. If you can't see us next Tuesday, you can always see us next Thursday on Landline. Here's the show on the road. Not a lot of talking. Landline. What's the wine report? How you doing? Uh, good. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. Poured on us. Nice. Um, Is all the fruit in? No, not all of it. I've got a couple things I left out, which may not have been the right choice. But then again, I was sick of picking. Um. What's uh? Good morning, Gary. What's up with you? It's my fifth anniversary. Thanks for calling. And uh, fifth anniversary of what? You called me. <laughs> it's the fifth anniversary of me not being a podca- a paid podcaster. Oh, really? Five years of potting? Oh, I don't know. It's longer than that. It's seven. Seven years of potting. Wait, now you're up to seven? Is it your anniversary or not? It's the my anniversary of getting married. Is what it is. Really? Yeah. October I got fi- married in October. October fifth, five years ago. You were there. You stood right next to me. Did you get married before me? You must have. Who's to know, honestly? Y- yeah, I, I remember because I was about to pop the question when you and Anna called, and that's why I sounded so, frankly, uh, disinterested um, with your very, very good news. Five years. Holy shit, man. I know. Um, and, and all you can show for yourself is a kid. Well, you take that back. I have over $100,000 in debt, so thank <laughs> okay. you. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Uh, that's amazing. Um, well, you made an yeah. appearance You made appearance on the last pod. Did you get a chance to listen? Have you been playing it at the winery? Like no, on... I, I did listen. Uh, the one with Saul, was that it? No, there was a Brett Kavanaugh discussion between siblings. Uh, and you brought up me? Or... No, you were you were just kind of – it was a potpourri episode, and your story was mentioned throughout the episode, and then your story about the wine was then the, like, tail-out last story for people because they just, you know, they need I, – I, I have a lot of different features in the last episode, so – Yeah, and you needed to li- li- maybe land on a lighter a lighter note, some just, just hundreds of thousands of dollars of fruit gone – gone wild versus you know the fact that most men in power today are just um dirty rotten scumbags so if you had to describe to everyone how much rotting crushed fruit so to speak i know i always screw this up but you're currently responsible for it and you had to like put it in a volume representation that people could understand. I don't know if it would be a tractor trailer. I mean, that's not big enough. If you were to, you know, wake up and go to work and all the wine that you're currently responsible for not fucking up from this year, from this harvest was in one container. What would that container look like? Well, that is a great question. We're, we're building a fire suppression water storage tank, which is a 220,000 gallon tank. Um, it's down on the lower vineyard below the winery. Um, and let's just say that is far more wine than I'm responsible for. I think I'll be at the end of the day, be crushing about 60,000 gallons of wine, um, with a retail value of approximately on average, say $70 a gallon. So Whatever that is, thousand times seventy, and that's average. Um, and you know, if 4. I four point two, four point two is what that comes out yeah, to. You should have yeah, done exactly. So you know, four four and a half million bucks worth of wine, and 
Like, but, if I had to give you a visual representation of it, you know, um, you know, a big tractor trailer, like, if you've ever seen, like, a big, yeah, big tractor trailer. Never seen one, but I could imagine it. You know, like a tanker truck that you see on the highway, and you're like, wow, that tank is full of something, and who knows, based on those little symbols that are on the side of it. Um, those hold approximately five to 6,000 gallons. I would say on average. So 12 so, of those. Yeah. Tanker trucks just full of, but you know, it's split up into over 70 different lots that I have to, you know, manage individually. So there was an earthquake there, what, three years ago, two years ago? 2013. And that was during harvest, right? It was right around this time of year. It was the day or two. It was in late August, and it was a day or two right before when those were ticking. And so other people had wine in their tanks, in their winery, if they chose to, you know, if they're making wine that is just picked earlier, I assume that's got to be the case, right? Yeah, yeah, tanks full of barrels full of wine and tanks full of wine. So I ask that because I'm just thinking about, you know, Obviously, if we put $4.2 million of $100 bills in a safe, there's probably some structural engineering that saves it from most natural disasters. Although I saw an amazing PBS NewsHour piece on Miami and how basically it will be underwater in like 60 years. So I wonder if they start shipping the money from Miami up to higher ground as that happens because you wouldn't want like all that cocaine and boob job money to you know just seep out into the atlantic but well silicon floats so you have to remember that but the money when you pay for it doesn't right if you're using cash to balloons and float it over their their island true and you know venezuelans are always paying in cash so my question is what is like the worst case scenario for that 4.2 million dollars not many people go to work this day and are responsible for more than like their cloud computing system or like the secure documents that are being stored or not being stored or, you know, making sure that there's no sexual harassment in the workplace. But there, you, you're pretty vulnerable there. I mean, you got a lot of product um, in steel tanks. Can you, other than an earthquake, which I imagine is probably the best answer, what else could make render all that wine worthless? Well, interns. Interns are my number one threat. Interns, the, the, the so-called um, educated professionals that I hire for $15 an hour plus overtime to come help me and Jaime and Martin make the wine. Um, they are the ones that they're the ones that can knock a valve open. They're the ones who can just fuck everything up. Um, Luckily, the wine is in separate containers. It's kind of like the... The, the hull of the Titanic, which had all those locking compartments. So if an intern. My fucking startup disc is full. And uh, I think that only happened 30 seconds ago. Wait. All right. We're back on. I mean, there's nothing more ironic than me recording a landline podcast onto a computer where the startup disc gets full and therefore renders me useless. Um, yeah, why don't you have an why don't you have one of those cool tape recorders? Analog baby. Well, so, know when that's running out. I mean, how how would I fully go? You're sort of an engineer and I don't I know you're busy cuz you've got 4.2 million dollars of wine you have to babysit, but if I if let's just say I had ten grand or forty grand or four hundred grand, whatever I would need, money's not an object because it's all floated off the Miami shores and I've collected it in a rowboat um, with a with oars or some sort of solar powered engine. So wh- I my idea is a phone booth with a phone, and then what I would get like a bunch of old recording equipment from the seventies, like I'd. I drive to the Midwest and and walk into an abandoned radio station that like iHeartRadio put out of business, and I just take all that equipment. How, how does who do I talk to? Who do I call? I've done a such, what about creating landline? Yeah, I've done such a bad job of connecting with someone who has any interest in helping me. I guess I just need to hang the the money out there. But do I need a radio engineer? I need like an out of work. Um, angry a, radio engineer who hates the need, way you need a uh, an, a former AV teacher from a high school that no longer has a 
like a, a high school radio station. Yeah. I mean, like, who who is the AV guy at Hanover? I think Bob Bob Franzoni, RIP. Yeah. Yeah. So you got you got to find another AV guy, and I've got one in Napa who's great, and he's the one who will. I mean, he's got a Super 8 projector. He'll rent me whenever I want it. Um, but he's also well versed in the digital realm. For some reason, you, you're you have you're sort of an armchair economist. Why is all that? You'd think that all that stuff would get cheap, like all the Super 8 equipment we've always, you know, lusted yeah. after, and this AV equipment. I mean, some of the some of like the the official radio station phone recording devices, which would make the sound of this podcast just up an echelon. All those things remain like sixteen hundred dollars. Like, how is that possible? There must be such an oversupply of that stuff on the earth at this point. Well, I I think that it's it's all about supply and demand, right? So I I have a feeling the where you're searching, where you're shopping, is they know that they have a captive audience. If anyone's looking for this product on eBay, it means that they really want it, and they're because of most likely nostalgia for the, you know a former time are willing to pay top top dollar for it um you gotta you know if i were you i'd be looking on the craigslist or using sort of those large compound search engines that are specific to craigslist to try to find them in the midwest somewhere because i'm i'm sure you can find them i'm sure they should be a lot cheaper than they are man it's someone wanted six thousand dollars for a phone for like a wooden phone booth half an hour away from me on craigslist like what is that about? Well, you, you, did you call him and give him a counteroffer? I like, told him I could dude. pay. I I was like I could probably pay you a thousand bucks, and he was like, "Yeah, see you later." I said, "If no one buys this and you want to get a thousand bucks for it, let me know." I, I could um, not. So, what are you gonna do with the phone booth? Are you gonna put it somewhere? All right. Well, this all you, you know me like everything cascades back to the fact that I don't know where I should live, right? Because. This whole the platform for installing installing the proper landline setup. You have to own own your own home, so you can rip sheetrock apart and you know maybe like replace floorboards, etc. But my ideal situation, and again to restate something that everyone on this landline has probably heard too many times, um, this is a house that includes an industrial dishwasher, like we've all used in restaurants if we've ever washed dishes. So you can do an entire dinner party's worth of dishes in ninety seconds. And yes, I do want the maintenance guy from Autoclore to come once a month and and make sure that it's all set up correctly. Not so, to mention bang your wife, right? <laughs> that's another podcast. <laughs> um, so so um, the reality is you'd want to install a traditional like obviously you'd want English, right? You want an English phone booth with a rotary phone in your home. And have that soundproofing aspect also be an element so that any time the phone rang, you could go in and probably just flip a light switch and the entire booth would come alive with that analog recording. And you'd be able to just record and, you know, if this if this podcast were to ever go anywhere, which would require me to use social media or actually tell people about it, then you'd have this sort of audience of fans who call the landline for all of their reference points on anti-technology and why is Facebook our healthcare provider and I can't believe that you know the Russians hacked the election and then every time they called I could answer and you know that I do well with kind of like bouncing off somebody else as an entertainer versus you know doing a, a, yeah. a solo show it's, it's what you'd like and then scripting it all yourself exactly um, so anyways that's I, I think if you know if you wanted to give me a fifth anniversary present that would obviously make me and my wife equally happy. Um, that would be it. It would be an old phone booth. All right. Well, I will. If, if it's about me tracking down an old phone booth for less than $6,000, I'm your guy. All right. Um, all right. Well, I know you have to go. It's Friday and it's harvest. And for those who don't know, and, and by the way, Tim is our, our wine steward. He's my partner on Two Guys, One Cup, which is a reoccurring episode on Landline that we will do after the wine harvest is done. So this isn't just a random call, although he is nice enough to answer, unlike some of you other people I call. Um, it's Friday. It's lunch. And because I've worked to harvest with you, I know that Friday lunch at harvest is a time to celebrate, even if you're not out of the weeds. And even if you've poured $100,000 of wine into the wrong tank, you get to drink 
and the company pays for a nice, usually catered or at least delivery lunch. So can you just give us um, give us the menu, and then we'll let you go. Sure. It's ABC, which is Alexis Baking Company, is the caterer. Um, it's roast chicken, uh, some sort of salad, bread and butter, brownies, and I think maybe some roasted vegetables. And it will be consumed with copious amounts of Saintsbury wine. And do you have you, who's picking the wine these days? You get to pick the bottles from the top shelf. You let the interns get into it or whatever. Yeah, I usually I, I that was my job when I first started. I was the wine steward for Friday lunch. I would put together, you know, tastings, comparative tastings, and things like that. And now I just let other people show up, and I think uh, their enthusiasm uh, trumps any sort of you know desire I have to. And rosé on tap is sort of the water of the event. Well, we have all, we have all all three uh, all three colors on tap. We have white, red, and pink, and we also also have a fourth tap now, Ooh. which um, you know it remains only only called the fourth tap. And for those who know about it, get a get a treat. Um, yeah. Well, I think that, you know, in the last thing I'll say, an extension of my comment on the dishwasher and the phone booth, that a lot of people strive to have a great job or make a certain amount of money. I think that if you could put me in a house that I owned with an industrial dishwasher, a phone booth, landline, podcasting, recording studio, and seltzer on tap, then, you know, I think I could be a janitor at the community pool, honestly. Well, just... uh buy your house in Detroit, and I think you could have that dream. That's right. All right. Thanks for your time, Tim. Happy Friday to you, and happy anniversary to me. Thanks for calling. Thanks, bud. See All right. Bye. Landline. Next saved voice message sent Sunday, October 7th at 4.18 p.m. Last one. Alhans, it's Sean calling from the W in Santiago, Chile. Unfortunately, I'm calling to report a failed attempt to visit our dear friend Miguel. Um, the weather, uh, well, it basically uh, it kind of fucked us. I was within striking distance of Futa La Flu, or Futa, as the locals call it, and um, unfortunately for our plans to marauder slaughter, I had to ferry the heli back to Puerto Montt due to the weather forecast and the employer who hired me as a heli ski consultant to help them start a new operation in southern Chile. Um, did not want to pay the standby rate. And, um, yeah, so I had a very hurried exit. But, uh, yeah, I'm at the W. There's a lot of, um, uh, I don't know how to describe the vibe. There's a lot of sex uh, and temptation in the air, but uh, that's what the W does. A lot of bass, a lot of DJs. I, I attended a hip-hop brunch this morning, hungover, of course. And uh, yeah, just going to check in. Um, I would prefer to talk to you directly, although I do appreciate a, a voicemail still. I just tried to call Max. He's faking the funk, of course. He'll text you, but he won't answer his fucking phone. And, uh, yeah, I just talked to Baker about our wardrobe for a black tie wedding that we're both attending for my cousin in November. We're going to we're gonna dress down, do black suits. Uh, mine will probably be wrinkled because I'm barely an adult. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Love you and uh, miss you. And, uh, yeah, answer your phone, dude. I don't know where you could possibly be at 4 o'clock in the afternoon besides sitting by your landline. Very undude. Ciao. End of message. To erase this message. Message saved. Landline. Landline. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. You're on the hey. uh, you're on the nice mic now, so. Oh, good. Hopefully, um, it'll record properly. I heard some feedback that maybe the incoming calls weren't at the same levels as the uh, house uh, line there. 
I know. I, I don't know if I need to call the voice recorder 5,000 people and see if there's a setting on my Stasi recording device. But I actually was just <laughs> talking to Tim the winemaker and we just discussed how I need like a his suggestion was a high school AV teacher retired and a little bit ornery who could come in and kind of outfit me with a fully analog setup. I think that'd be great. You could probably pick one of those up uh, fairly inexpensively, I would think. Now, I don't know that there's a huge demand for those anymore besides people like you. Yeah, but we, we talked about that, too, and that's how we everyone thinks. Oh. And, and then you go on eBay, Yeah. and everything is, you know, like if I want to get a radio station-level recording device, it's 1500 bucks. which huh. – how many radio stations have gone out of business and been consolidated under iHeartRadio or whatever that everything is digital? It's just it's it's yeah. it's very bizarre and ironic. I think yeah, I think I remember us talking about this when we were by the fireside that time, and I was explaining that you would have to literally be splicing um, tape together to edit it. Well, I don't want that. I think that I I I will respect. You know, I have that new segment called When Landline Goes Too Far. I think also, <laughs> I think there should be a segment called When, you know, When Landline Isn't Good Enough or When Landline Fails. I do right. think the quality of the digital recording interface on a computer these days so that I can cut and edit is in insanely incredible and saves me yeah. hundreds of hours of time over splicing tape obviously or i would have to just put everything right as i recorded it and maybe because of that i would be better who knows but um mm. i will say that um i don't need to get away from using a computer to edit or even record i do think that the major flaw continues to be a landline to a microphone i think i just probably need to go to a, a sound store and ask them guitar center has been so worthless when i've gone in and asked there's a there are local guys here that i should go talk to and yeah and why then can't you just run a why don't you have a recorder that just runs the telephone line right into the recorder those cost a lot of money yeah well i mean at some point you gotta spend some money all right well maybe the landline listeners want to spread the word i mean we could yeah, do it so in yeah, I tried that a few years ago. It's like this is the great irony, John, and this is actually one of the segments I wanted to do with you. But, you know, so I, I have this podcast. You love it. You're probably the best fan and the best guest. No offense to Saul. Um, I just say that to him so that he'll get fired up to join the, yeah. the podcast again. And and the, yet – and I, I have all these friends and family who are, accolade, are telling me it's great, and clearly by the numbers of people who are listening that – I don't know all of them, right? So so we're getting into territory where there is at least three other human beings out there listening to the show who like me and they don't know who I am. So great. I still continue to get the – my life, my personal life continues to be dominated by modern cell phone communication. So like even you and I texting about when we're going to podcast is just a great irony of this whole thing. Yes. And I just don't know, like, can you give me any advice? Should I give up? You know, my sister listened to my podcast on her bus ride home to see my parents from New York to New Hampshire yesterday. She's loving it. She then today, like, sends me a bunch of videos on her iPhone from her biking in rural Vermont with my dad outside of a farm. Doesn't and, and I love her and she's funny and I'm this. I hope she doesn't take this the wrong way, but like, doesn't the whole fact that her brother has this stupid podcast called Landline and is constantly fighting against technology isn't that an indication that maybe like not engaging with iPhone videos with him is the way to go? Like, how does this all mix up into me not being a shut in, but also people respecting that I'm trying to like kind of establish a different form of communication here? Well, I think that your sister really likes to shoot videos of things, um, like the time that y'all were up on Mount Hood with Homer, and she was shooting videos, and you yelled at her. Right. Um, you know, she's just a person who really likes shooting videos of things, and I personally don't shoot videos of things because I never look at them again, and I feel that... <laughs> I have memories are much better. Because if I shoot a video, I mean, what am I shooting a video of? I think that the problem is that um, if you're going to shoot a video, it better be, like, really cool. You know, like, if you're going to ride a, a mountain bike and shoot a video, make sure it's a really, like, 
realistic route. You know, if you're going to ski and shoot a video, make sure it's, you know, balls-to-the-wall style skiing. You know, something that's going to be kind of impressive. When I see something like, hey, man, check out my video from Stowe, and they're just hitting the groomers, it's, it's kind of a lame experience. Um for anybody right you know it's just who wants to who watches that you know but how do you i mean you have some pretty alternative lifestyle choices you've made compared to, i would say like the the modern you know 40 something man like you know you're hunting a little bit well i mean a lot of people hunt but yeah you know you 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 live like a pretty analog life i would say compared to just the yeah. status quo right so so you've had to navigate this world of like you don't want to just tell everyone to go fuck themselves and never call you again and never text you again, right? Because that's just rude and it's not a nice thing to do. But you right. you also wonder like, you know, and it's not just I it sounds like my sister's the only one. It's like my friends, my family, anybody. Right. It, it's like if I spend 4 hours of my 6 hours of my week putting on this stupid podcast, is that an indication that maybe I'm like trying to like restart a more authentic way of communicating with each other. I realize this isn't a form of entertainment, but that like maybe one phone call a week of check-in is actually like an alternative to like 50 texts a day, which is what I get with some people that are in my life. So I just, yeah, I think that this is a way for you to communicate with people. I think it's good therapy too, for you to talk about it um, on the radio I think it's um, a good therapy for you to, to talk and discuss your things. It's just kind of your way of talking out your anxiety sometimes. Um, I, and you know how you said, like, you can't just tell everybody just to fuck off and not talk to me. I actually do kind of have that approach to things. I don't, um, I don't really have a whole lot of people I talk to. I talk to you and Anna and my family, you know, um, and I love my sisters. I love my family and stuff. And we'll talk every once in a while, but I just seem like, you know, I'm just always, uh, kind of doing that off the grid thing in a way. And that I don't really talk to too many people. And is, are you lonely because of that ever? No, I mean, I've got my wife and my child and I've got all my friends. I, I mean, I'm surrounded by friends. I just talk to them. My neighbors, I just walk over and talk to them. Right. You know? And, um, you know, Ethan and I went and played golf yesterday. Nice. And, uh, that was good, but um, God bless you, Ethan. I love you, but um, Ter- had a hard time putting the phone down. I know he's running a business, but maybe just shut it down for a little bit on the course. Well, okay, so that's great. Like we both love Ethan, and Ethan's a fan of the show, and Ethan has tough skin, so we can talk yeah. about him in a completely productive way. Because there's a, I have ten Ethans in my life, so I'll just yeah. say that my Ethans. We're talking about my Ethans. Yeah. How do you turn to someone who you love, who you love sharing time with, who you are glad is golfing with you because the alternative is that you're golfing by yourself? Right. And how do you – because I think that what we're talking about right this second is not just me and you wasting 15 minutes on the phone and recording it. This is at the core of so many relationships in this country right now. How do you tell someone to not use their cell phone around you? How do you do it? Um, well, to, without... I think he finally got that. He finally, <laughs> honestly, it got it got I kind of he, he started feeling bad when I when I started. I said, "Man, fucking stop talking to my backswing!" And then he felt bad about it. And then I felt bad because I told him. Cause, but I, you know, he made me fucking shank a shot. But then it was followed up by a brilliant shot. So I was glad he kind of um, that happened. And I'm glad I'll have that experience, that memory. I'm glad I didn't have to videotape it to remember it. Um, but the only time I can get Ethan to turn off the phone, if I'm lucky, is if he's driving. I'll say, dude, please stop looking at your phone while you're driving. Right. Um, that's, I mean, but, I mean, as far as on a golf course, you know, I understand he's got a business to run. And he's got, you know, he's, he's that's just, you know, he's, he's, he's runs his business off his phone. And I was kind of happy when he said, man, this new Apple thing is uploading and it's just killing my battery in an hour. I was like, all right, hopefully it'll be dead in an hour. Um Hopefully your battery will be dead, but I think we're already on the 16th hole or something then at that point. It's um, it, it. The last thing I'll say on this topic, because we want to talk golf handicaps, you know, hot yes. golf handicap yes. stock. Yes. Is um, I five years ago there were a couple of you know mainstream whether they're rom coms or just movies that were uh, you know movies that were written and produced to appeal to sort of like the common 
American woman and man for that matter. And I remember at least in two movies, there would be like a lunch scene with a bunch of ladies and, you know, they'd be like, remember, if you pick up your cell phone, you have to pay for lunch. Right. And there was even a thing where there was like an article in some paper about how that was something that like the power lunchers in New York was doing was that we had to have like a cell phone free dinner, a cell phone free lunch. And whoever checked their phone first had to pay for it. That that was like sort of this attempt five years ago. Maybe we were at a fork in the road. Nobody ever fucking says that anymore. Like that is complete. That was such a quaint, cute idea. I mean, when I said it, I rolled my eyes like I can't believe we're at this place now. There is no chance five years later based on us now becoming like the I watch people and the I dick people and the I forehead people and the robot people. That yeah. that like that, that's such, what a nice time when we were we had a chance that maybe people weren't going to use their phones at lunches, you know? Well, I never use my phone at lunch. In fact, I you know I rarely answer my phone or anything. I I loathe computer phones, and I want to go back and find one that doesn't even have a computer thing on it. But I think in uh, yeah, you know, um, the people I talk to, uh, the people I eat with, they don't talk to this on the phone when they're at lunch. I find that, I would find that incredibly rude if somebody were to do that or look at their phone. I know some people just habitually look at their phone, I guess, for one reason or another, but I find it completely rude. And if someone were to do that to me at lunch, I would give them the stink eye. Like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? So do you think the... The people that last bit here, do you think the people who listen to this show either listen to the show because they've become part of the people who don't pull their phone out and therefore this is boring conversation for them because they're already there and we have to talk about then how to strategize like getting ahead of the wave versus being in it. B, they look at their phone constantly and this is just a way for them to feel like they're part of a movement that they're actually not participating in. Or C, like, think this is an incredibly annoying podcast and they just found it because they're from Australia and they Googled Landline, which is a successful TV show there. Right. I think that, um, again, let's try and live in the moment. Talk to the person across the table from you. Your phone, your message will be there when you get back. That's That's what I don't like about the phone is people think that they have to react to it when it rings. You know what I mean? Right. Or buzzes or whatever. They think that all of a sudden I'm, you're, you're making a slave of yourself to other people's whims at that point. You know, it seems like I, you know, almost makes me want to start randomly calling people to see how quickly they answer the phone um, because they probably get off on it, you know, in a weird way. Like, Ooh, that's so, a good like, one. Hey, someone's calling me. Ah, I got to do this. I got to do that. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, I keep the ringer off on my phone. I can't stand the sound of it buzzing or ringing or anything. I just check it and be like, oh, shit, somebody called me like three hours ago. I'll give them a call back tomorrow. You know what I mean? Well, that is I when when I was talking to Tim before you, we were we were talking about, you know, how you could find all this stuff to buy for the podcast on eBay. And I thought about how there are those professors who have gotten like jobs at schools where they get to do all these cool research projects. And how fun would it be to do a research project where you tried to find like the the cost, including time of finding something on eBay or like driving to the Midwest and finding it at like, you know, if there's a $1,500 piece of equipment, you could probably get it for $13 at like a thrift store in outside Des Moines, but you'd have to drive there and search for it. And yeah, that'd be great. You'd be do a really cool like comparison and only through some sort of academic institution would you be given the money to like study that. Well, another thing you could study is you could become like the phone call manipulator where you could just call like 400 people a day and use like a bunch of psychology to see how many of them you could get to react like more and more and more to your calls and like completely dominate them through their cell phones. (laughs) It's kind of one quick thing before we get off the cell phones. I want to tell you the reason I'm calling in late is because, and this is one of the most effed up things I've ever seen. And it's a sad situation. There was a guy running an excavator at this project I'm working on right now. He held me up. The dude was checking his cell phone constantly while he was driving an excavator. Like a something I could easily maim somebody or knock a building over. Um, he just could not stop looking at his phone. He could not stop looking at his phone while he was driving it. And did you, you say do you, did you say anything? So I went over to him. I said, "Hey man, can you uh, just move out of my way for about 15 minutes? You know, and he, it would it would not even have been a problem if he had just been working instead of." 
sitting there looking at his fucking phone in an excavator. I guess his boss was gone. You know, he's one of these uh, Central Oregon, uh, you know, um, I don't know if he's a recent graduate, but a younger person. You a, know, a porno addict. Is that the word you were yeah. thinking of? Yeah. A crack addict or whatever. But the dude could not stop looking at his phone while he's driving. He turned the machine, look at his phone. Turn the machine, look at his phone. And uh, I didn't go yell at him because he doesn't work for me, obviously, and he knows how he would react. But um, it, it held me up for a long time. Well, that's the enigma. Like operating so, heavy equipment and fucking checking a phone at the same time. So, well, that's the, that is the definition of the enigma. We, you know, your name is not doesn't roll off the tongue, but we named you the yeah. constitutionalist enigma. But, like, the yeah. enigma is how – observant and angry you are or not angry, but like how frustrating that is for you. But then if that was me, I would probably never be in that situation that you were in, but you were so polite and reserved around like letting that happen. And I would have gone up and like screamed at him and then never gotten hired to be a subcontractor on that job again. Right. Right. So it's like you're, you are like a preservationist in a very polite and good way. It was an effort. Honestly, I was sitting there breathing impatience, waiting for him to finish, thinking about how I had to make this phone call, how I've got a ton of other work to do. It's now raining, you know, it's windy and 40 degrees here. It's cold. Well, I've, it's my fifth anniversary today. Oh, hey. Fifth anniversary of what? No, I'm just kidding. Happy anniversary. That's great. Happy marriage. And uh, I'm taking your sister, who I'm married to, to yes. a um, – lingerie boutique for our lunch date with a bottle of champagne to buy her a few new bras so just what she wanted oh, to know you should get yourself something nice too nice that's yeah true. get yourself something high and tight all right five years yeah. might be time to spice it up a little bit yeah mangerie nice all right yeah, well that's hot i if there was a liposuction place next door that's where i would spend the money but yeah landline next saved voice message sent sunday october 7th at 8.59 p.m. Alex, I just thought I'd update you. Um, so, yeah, I flew in a helicopter from Helena in southern Patagonia to Puerto Montt and then got into a commercial flight and ended up in Santiago. And, um, you know, it, it's all for work. And... No, I'm I'm the W. This is kind of the uh, you know second installment I guess tonight. But my computer just crashed. I was working on a PowerPoint presentation, and my computer made like a almost like a uh, Toyota Corolla sound right before you know it's going to die. And uh, yeah, I'm supposed to present it to the person that's paying me a thousand dollars a day for my expertise so yeah i wish i could provide the that the w constantly plays but i'm in my room kind of freaking out and uh i'd be lying if i said that i didn't expect this landline to ring and wake up your child and possibly create some sort of uncomfortable situation for you but I guess mostly what I want to accomplish here is uh, just to tell Mike O'Donnell how sorry I am that didn't work out. I really thought we were going to have an amazing trip crashing on the flu to the flu. And uh, everyone in Polena told me that the disco in Fruta was way better. But yeah, so uh, my Spanish isn't good enough to go to a Mac store and figure it out and um i'm just another motherfucker another gringo out here with resting lacrosse base just like our new supreme court judge um i don't know man if you're not going to answer the phone like if the landline doesn't ring in your house which i suspect it doesn't um, I feel like we need to talk about that. It's an analog thing, right? Like, if I can't wake up your child and create a screaming baby and maybe like a, uh, 
you know, something that we could laugh about while standing at a gas station smoking cigarettes. I don't know what the point is. Good for thought. Ciao. End of message. To erase this message saved. Landline. Um, all right. Well, we don't, we, yeah. you know, we don't have to do, we can do, we can do 10 minutes because I've got, I got a, uh, I got a 15 minute hit out of Tim at the winery talking about, he's got $4.2 million of products that interns can fuck up in Perfect. tanks. And so, uh, so we, but do like, what, it, what is your most pressing concern here? Do you want to talk golf handicaps? Cause I do. I would talk the golf handicap real quick. I, since I spoke to you about, or I had my revelation about it and how it's just a giant marketing scheme. Yeah, build us up. Build us up from the beginning. You're, you just got uh, into golf. Yeah, I've just gotten into golf. I've been hitting the balls, getting better, you know, and then I started thinking about the golf handicap, and I don't completely understand it, but one thing I do know is that you could go and hit uh, X amount, and I could hit X plus 20. So let's say you hit 72 and I hit 92. If my handicap is a 20, then we would have pushed the game basically and tied, even though it took me 20 more strokes to get around the course. And um, I realized this is a giant marketing scheme to keep selling better golf videos, better golf clubs, how to, how to increase your handicap. And coming from my background, which has always been kind of more of like a competitive type, you know, like a, like a mono a mono or uh, like rock climbing or kayaking or skiing or anything, there's no handicapping in that stuff. You Jet can skiing. Climb it or you can't, you know, I mean, and I see those as being kind of individual sports. You go and you rock climb, you work really hard and climb better and better and better you know, or ski better, better, better. And then you got golf where you, you know, you're like the only self-reporting, honest game where you you keep your own score and everything. But I guess my whole conundrum is, like, why is there a golf handicap? So I talked to you about it, and you explained, you know, or we maybe texted back and forth, you know, about it. And God then, forbid. Uh, Jay got a golf lesson the other day. After he hit the golf pro in the head with a, with a golf ball, I figured I better go over and get him a lesson with the guy. So, um, given his good graces, John had a lesson. Afterwards, I talked to him about that, and I said, you know, what is your idea about the golf handicap? I think we should get rid of it. And he laughed. He said, you know, man, a lot, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's just uh, it's supposed to keep it as like a social game, you know what I mean? And then I, I thought about, like, skiing as a social activity. You don't need to be the best in the world. You're, we're not going to go handy. We're not going to go ski against Bodie Miller, you know, in a race downhill. Um, why, you know, if we were, I'm sure he would say, yeah, take five minutes to, to start or whatever. But that's handicapping. That's not the way it goes. You should just go play golf and have fun and get better. If you want to get better at golf, just play more and devote more energy to it. And it comes back to this whole, like, libertarian idea if you want to be good at something just do it just put your energy there and you might say well not everybody can go play golf all the time well maybe those people you know shouldn't be competitively playing but just playing recreationally like you would go ski at the hill recreationally well you've you've certainly insulated your argument well you've had the time to prepare and i appreciate i was going to actually bring up skiing as a counterpoint so i really i do feel like you've buffered your fortress pretty well here on the handicap and I hear all your points and knowing you I know that really the chance of you changing your mind is very slim so this is basically just me talking and listening to myself which the fact I have a podcast is an indication that I love that so yeah I'll try I'll try my best and I hope that you don't give it up because to set the stage a little bit more after a few we played golf together at the beginning yeah. of the summer and, you know, this was kind of the first time where you were really showing that you were wanting to take it a step above, like drinking a six pack and playing nine holes or trying to see how far you could hit it at the driving range. You were going to dedicate it. And as someone who grew up playing golf and has seen the number of people who actually are serious golfers and by serious, I mean, like functional, they like know what outfit to wear and they have their own set of clubs. Yeah. Dwindle over time. I love the fact that my brother in law here could become a golfer because we could share that on family trips or when we see each other at 
visiting, et cetera, et cetera. So I said that I would bet you a thousand dollars that you would never yeah. bet me, or excuse me, never beat me at golf the rest of our life. Yeah. And what you, did I say? You were first of all, you were very offended, and um, then you shook my hand and said, "Let's do it." And then you said, "I'll." So what I said is, I said I'd give you a thousand dollars if I don't beat you by next July twenty third. Right. Right. <laughs> Which. Which is what, like the full moon in July that year, or like what? What's? No, it was one year from when we played our okay. town together. All right, perfect. And I think we've got. I'm, we're going to see each other at the end of October, so I think we'll have a match then, which is exciting. So, yeah. But to good. get to retort your points about the handicap, and yeah, and I'm going to keep this as non-sporty as possible, so that our non-sports fan friends can continue to listen. Yes. The social aspect is true. Let's just start off with this, with the skiing example. Let's say I was coming to visit you in Bend. You got a great house there in Bend. You know I'm a good skier. You're a good skier. Yeah. Your sister's a good skier. But we also – we all know what to do. We know that like you know, if we're going skiing tomorrow, there's going to be a certain time we're going to leave. We're going to come downstairs in our long underwear. We're going to remember all our equipment. You know, Make sure you yeah. either eat a big breakfast or pack some food. And like you can't be a gaper is ultimately the thing. Yeah. You, can, you can be a shitty skier. But you yeah. can't be a gaper. And I think that golf, there are so many bad golfers in the world that it's really not about the skill set. A handicap is about people playing together with the same sort of concept and purpose of what they're trying to accomplish during that round. There what are is the mindset? So, what's, the, what's the goal? I mean, the goal well, is so, to... so let's say we did go skiing. Let's say me and two of my friends from New Hampshire or New York came in to stay with you, and we had a great time drinking the night before, and you thought they were funny guys, and they both had yeah. jobs, you know, like in entertainment or, you know, whatever. They were, you know, good at what they did, and they wanted to go skiing the next day. You would be annoyed the next day if we got halfway up the lift and, like, one of them forgot their gloves and the other ones had their skis on backwards – or even if they could get outfitted correctly, that it was every single, it was like an amazing powder day, and all the all the tracks were getting filled in every run by this right. awesome snow, and we only had to till one o'clock till you had to go back to the house and take care of John because Heather wanted the afternoon off, and blah blah blah, and we're getting like four runs instead of forty runs because my friends are so shitty at skiing. You would just say, "I'm not skiing with these guys." Right, and that takes me back to the handicap. If why would you want to play with somebody who's just a fucking horrible golfer? Well, I mean, uh, my dad, who's a great golfer, a good, he's a good amateur golfer. He's been playing yeah. golf for sixty years, literally. Yeah. You know, at his best, he was a ten handicap, and now he's probably closer to a fifteen. But you know, he's broken eighty a bunch, and you know, he's a good f golfer. One of his best friends who he's played golf with more than anyone else on the earth is terrible at golf. And they've been playing together for 40 years. And, right. and the reality I, is it, that if the way – so let's let's just go top down here and I'll do this quickly. Okay. Okay. First of all, how many people can join a country club? Not that many, right? There's, there's money. There's time. There's, sure. you know, all that stuff. you got to get into the club. Then within yeah. that club – Everyone likes to play with different people. So some people like to play fast in the morning. Some people like to go after lunch. Some people like a beer at the turn. Some people mm -hmm. like my dad show up and play and get the fuck out of there as fast as they can. So you have to find the people who like to play with you, okay? All of those aspects of playing together aren't actually related to golf whatsoever. Who do you want to spend four hours of your time with on the golf course is what defines who you play golf with. You could play with people who are exactly the same skill set as you, but who are complete assholes or they're, you know, not political. You know, what do you talk yeah. about on the golf course? You always get to politics. You always get to your wife or your significant other. You always get to your kids. You always get to where you're going to the dinner that night. You always get sure. to like what's going on in town, whether or not you believe the new hotel should be built or not. So. That means that you're never going to spend golf with people you don't like, spend, play golf with people you don't like, which is kind of awesome, right? How many things in life are like that? Sure. Four hours of, of time outdoors with people. And therefore, you have to have handicaps so that your friend who you love and who you love playing golf with, who knows what time to show up, who knows what to wear, who knows whether you're getting a cart or a caddy or carrying your bag – who understands whether to bring rain gear or not or quit whether it's raining, if they're terrible at golf, and, and I'm going to let you come back here, 
You want them to be able to play in a game against you because otherwise you're just out there hitting the ball, chasing it, and there's really no point. And golf is so sort of nebulous to start with that unless you're playing a match, it's very hard to stay concentrated. And staying concentrated in golf makes it more fun, as you and I showed when we played against each other earlier this yeah. summer. All right, I'll take yeah. a breath. And you, okay, well, I'm just saying I understand that I – really think that the social aspect of it is great. Ethan and I went out yesterday. We played. It was lovely. I had a great great time. I love that guy. We just had a great time. The weather was perfect. Um, you know, we ran into a little traffic jam at one point, but we just skipped ahead a whole. Um, that doesn't matter about the scoring. I just don't think that matters about scoring because um, I think, I mean, I, I, I put up a lower score than Ethan did yesterday because he hasn't played in 20 years, you know. And um, he had his clubs. He bought it like the farm store or some shit, dude. Um, they were great. He did a great job. I mean, he, he got on back nine. He was, you know, in his groove again. He did a really good job. Um, he shot some pars and stuff. He did a really good job. But it doesn't matter what the score is if you're having fun and socializing with somebody, right? You know what I mean? That's well, part of being a social person is not freaking out and going back to people forgetting gloves and boots and shit i think you and anna are more guilty of that than any couple i've ever met in my life <laughs> well what if you next year you're at widgie creek you're playing a lot of golf and you you're there by yourself and three guys say hey do you want to play with us and you're like yeah of course and yeah they, and they say to you we usually play an, you know, a Nassau, a dollar a side, which means you play a match on the front side, a match on the back nine, and then there's a match for the whole 18, and it's two against two. Okay. And the way to keep that competitive, if there's someone really good and really bad, is to have handicaps. And they and, and you, they say, do you have a handicap? And you say, no, I don't have one. You know, I don't believe in handicaps. And they could say, okay, fine, we'll just play you straight up. Yeah. And, and then you're way worse than all of them. You're just going to lose. But you're saying that you just should lose until you get good enough to win? Yes. You're presupposing that I'm going to be worse than them. You forget that I'm actually playing golf now and uh, playing at a fairly competitive level now. Well, I think that you are an indication to broaden the subject of someone who almost – you've never been beaten down with – the idea that you're not a good enough golfer, which is what every kid who grew up golfing just hears constantly from their father. You know, you got to get better. And not that it's like um, an emotionally abusive thing. It's just that there's like, yeah. there's the top, there's the best golfer in the world. There's Tiger Woods. And then every, and then it's just such a big apron outward of bad sure. skill sets so that you, yeah. and all these different people playing. And so it, it's very interesting to me that you're almost like someone who's coming into an industry who's never been part of the business before. And you're saying, look, we don't need to do it this way. We can do it that way. I also think it illustrates your own confidence in yourself to succeed, which is something that not a lot of people have, but I do think right. you're kind of thinking outside the box here. And I'm not going to tell you to not do it because Maybe it ends up being a reoccurring theme on the show. That's right, hot handicap talk. Um, but I, 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 I will say that like I wish you the best, but you're going to run yeah. into some major problems as you try to integrate yourself with the golf social scene if that's what you choose to do, because people yeah. are going to kind of it's going to be like you saying you don't wear pants or something like that. For you know what, man, I wear the nicest outfits on the course. I dress very styling. I did kind of a um, Ryder Cup uh, homage yesterday with my blue and maroon outfit. Nice. Looking good, looking tight. I got my a new set of clubs, got a serious driver. Um, I'm walking the course, feeling strong, um, really coming along, man. I mean, it's, I, I, let's just say that the game that we played in July is a lot different than the game I played yesterday. All right, it's great. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. And I would rather go walk the course by myself than play with three fucking dudes I don't know or another person I don't know I would rather play by myself than with somebody I don't know well there you go I mean yeah I, I, I mean that's just kind of the way I am like I, I enjoy playing golf by myself as much as I if I'm not playing with you or Steven or like Ethan or my dad those are the only people I've ever played or John Cardwell those are the only people I've played golf with I've only played like six times or something this year seven times but uh I'd much rather go by myself um, than be paired, even paired with another group of people that I don't know. Um, 
I'm not into the social aspects of golf. <laughs> I go to the range, I put my headphones on and just, you know, get in my head, I guess. Okay, great. Well, yeah. Um, that's what we love about you is that you're <laughs> doing it your own way. And uh, I think that, um, you know, a larger point to be made as we as we send, or send each other off for the weekend yeah. here and to my bra buying is um, that you might have to find some sort of – you said you Googled, like, about this and you found that yeah. you might be the only person on earth who – is interested right. in a no handicap world for golf, and I yeah. I will counter that point by saying I bet those people aren't on the internet, right? I mean, they it, you're they're probably so, not. They're probably because, all playing out in the woods because you well, and because you you actually can update your handicap now. You it used to be a computer system in the in each right. clubhouse where you would enter your scores, but now of course it's all web based. So the fact that the only people going on to do handicap stuff are those with a handicap. But do you should you found a club is the is the question here because you know I discussed about a year ago f um, starting a club called the Club of the Men of New England Club in Portland where you were only allowed in right. if you were born in New England and we would like right. watch Patriots games and play Beirut and talk about how the West Coast sucked once a month and sure. and but I never did it because I'm horrible at executing because I was editing yeah. shitty podcasts so. What can you do to, in landline fashion, to maybe start a movement here? Um, or, or is well, I, I'm starting by just talking to people about it. I talked to John's golf coach the other day. He laughed about it. He, you know, talked about the social thing. But then he got really bent when he's like, "Yeah, then we go play these professional. You know, the pros from the different clubs get together and they're playing with handicaps." And right. he's like, "That's fucking bullshit, dude." Right. Um, you know, if the guy from Widgie and the guy from Eagles Crest get together or whatever, they're like, well, I'm a handicap, and, you know, and they're, like, taking strokes off each other and heads up play, that's ridiculous. You know, he said that is ridiculous. He says, you know, man, if you're going to play against, uh, you know, you know, again, it's just everybody's got their thing. The creepiest thing is you cannot find a result supporting getting rid of the golf handicap, and that's on the Internet. <laughs> I was just like, man, this is – it's a cabal. It's a giant marketing scheme because you'll get like a million ways to lower your handicap. It's just, it's just marketing. It's just selling. It's just to sell things. Instead of someone saying, hey, go out, take some lessons, and then hit fucking 20,000 balls and figure it out. Well, the one piece of data you haven't yet experienced is that – and maybe for you it will never happen. Maybe you're going to go pro on the PGA Tour. Maybe. Most amateur golfers – figure out that there is a lowest score that they can ever get to and that there is an average score that they usually shoot every single time they go out. And at that yeah. point, you may your mind may open to the fact that you will never beat certain people. Now, I'm, I'm not saying I'm one of those people. I'm not good enough to say that that's true, given how well you've Ooh. achieved success in other things that you've picked up for fun and then concentrated on. But there are there there is there for for the regular everyday person they can only get so good at golf and that is in contrast to other sports or activities because of golf being this unique sort of spiritual mental game where even when you're hitting it straight you miss your putts so yeah we can well, uh, I, we look forward to scary. hearing more about that. I would say. Yeah, no, I, I will uh, keep you updated, but I'm not sharing scores until we play together. Um, I'm not telling you about my workout routine, my psychological um, approach. Uh, so I'm not going to fill you in on any of that. I'm looking forward to the time we get together and play. It might have to be in Portland because it's turning to winter here quickly. Okay, well, there's a lot of good cheap municipal golf in portland that's great to play and beautiful to be outside in i saw an amazing barred owl from about five feet away last time i was nice. playing golf and kind of looks like a raccoon um yeah. in some ways and he last and i had a uh, red-tailed hawk land on a branch right above us yesterday and just sit there and watch us chip into uh the 11th screen there yeah who knew wildlife like roundup so much i guess there's <laughs> yeah man i didn't think they um feed on the dead mice that it's poisoning so last thing I'll say, and then we got to yeah. hang up, is there's this incredible walnut tree right in front of me out my window where I'm podcasting, yeah. um, and it is, it's the walnuts are are ripe. So walnuts are really cool. There's like this green, almost like an orange. There's like a green pith around a walnut shell. Sure. And I'm watching these squirrels um, just 
run right up the tree, run right out on the branch, pull the walnuts right off the tree, the green like shell, not shell, yep. but green pith, and then in about two seconds just peel that green right off and take the nut in their hands while they're balancing on this tree upside down and run back to their nest wherever they're holding them. And I just thought you would like that detail because isn't evolution so amazing at making animals be so efficient in feeding themselves and, and providing for themselves and, and preserving themselves against nature. And, um, man, have we gotten away from that as humans? Yeah. Nature's a cruel beast though, man. The, you know, you see a bunch of, uh, starving squirrels every year too in the wintertime out here. Elk. There was an avalanche. It killed like 17 elk up on broken top. They just, their carcasses finally melted out this year. People are like, what the hell? Yeah. Wow. Anyway, yeah. So anyway, it happened. Well, hey, no- um, happy anniversary. Thanks. Thanks for the pod. It was nice to talk to you. Yeah. Next time we'll talk hunting. Um, I, yeah, I, you know, I've kind of forsaken hunting this year for golf. I've given up everything except golf. Now. Oh shit. Well, I guess I'll take yeah. a thousand cash out before I drive over the yeah, hill the next time. <laughs> no, it's next, next July. Next All right. Well, no, but I mean, if you beat me between now and then I got to pay you. Yeah. We'll uh, work it out. All right. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, put it some recording equipment. Oh uh, yeah, that would be awesome. All right, well, <laughs> I, I actually was daydreaming about how we need to get you. You're a perfect landline candidate. We should get you a landline in Bend and yes, I, yes. get you a mic. Oh. Get you a oh. microphone, and then you can record on your end, and I can record on mine. And then we'll, you just send me the audio file, and I mean, shit, you and I can just have the brother-in-law podcast. Yeah, it'd be perfect. LBJ, Heather wants to get him um, one in the next year or so so that you can start calling his little buddies. Yeah, and so that, like, yeah. people can call and, and talk to him like his family. It's important. Yep, exactly. All right. I love you guys. We'll, right. talk, we'll talk to you I later. I love you. Have a wonderful anniversary. Say hi to your beautiful bride and little Homer. Thank you. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Landline. You have one new message. Twenty-one saved messages. First voice message sent yesterday at 10.17 a.m. Well, Alex, I I have a belated answer to your question about why people aren't calling the landline uh, enough. Um, And that's because I tried to call the landline from my contacts in my cell phone and it went to a 617 landline, a former landline, an ex-landline of yours. Um, And maybe if you didn't fucking move across the country so many times and you just stuck to one landline, people would call it more. Uh, That's point one. Point two is I found a phone booth um, in the Bay Area. It's beautiful, copper inlay interior. Um, I'm gonna make a wine offer on it shortly. I'll let you know how it goes. End of message. To erase this message, press 7. To save it, press 9. To mark this message up, message save.
Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. You're listening to Landline.